0: I would so I would come out on stage and I would start with my Ricky Martin. I'd be like, Live la vida loca, you know, and I was all dressed up, didn't have the beard, you know, 20 pounds ago, whatever. This is 20 years ago, too. And then I would go backstage put on the Elton John outfit and I'd come back out on the piano and I'd be like, you know, uh, can you feel the love tonight?
1: Every business is unique.
0: But the ups and downs we experience as we launch and
1: run our businesses are pretty similar. We're Harmon Brothers, the team behind Pooping Unicorns and other weird but successful video ads you've probably seen. We help businesses grow through unforgettable video marketing, and we're no stranger to tricky situations. In fact, we embrace them. The goal of this podcast is to show how your crappy circumstances could be the golden opportunity that leads to your next success. You're listening to Poop to Gold. Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm Benton Crane, your co-host and the CEO of Harmon Brothers. Today I have a special guest on the show and I'm really excited about this guest because they have impacted me in a personal way. And if you have ever heard me speak from the stage and were either moved by it or bored by it, (laughs) whichever might be the case, if you were moved by it, it's it's probably in large part because of the help that I received from today's guests. So I have with me Jason Hewlett. Welcome to the show, Jason.
0: Thanks so much for having me. You give me too much credit, man. You're a great speaker already. So,
1: Jason, Jason, when was it? Probably 18 months ago or, or 2 years ago we connected and Jason started coaching me on on my stage presence and how to be a better speaker. And I'm still I'm still a work in progress, well, and that's probably being generous. But Jason helped me help me go from I would go up on stage and like really boring talk about like the ads that we've done and stuff and some of the, you know, the, the nuts and bolts behind them. And Jason's like, no, come on, Benton, you've got to actually get up and tell a story that make people connect with you on a personal level. And, and then you can get into the nuts and bolts, but you've got to connect first at a personal level. And so Jason taught me how to do that. And so I am super, super, super excited to have Jason here on the show. He's an amazing man. He's accomplished amazing things. Um, he's shared those talents with me and I'm excited for him to share some of those talents with you. He is the author of a book called The Promise to the One, which I enjoyed on audible last year I, I believe it was and he is a famous keynote speaker who has spoken in front of audiences ranging into the tens of thousands of of people and he is he's a Hall of Fame speaker so he is he's as good as they come so, Jason, with with that intro, tell us what you're up to nowadays.
0: What an intro, first of all. Thank you very much. And it's an honor to be here. I find it almost almost entertaining in the fact that I needed to teach the guy who teaches storytelling and creating stories that he needed to lead with his own story. And that's what happens when we don't see it from the perspective of ourselves versus the audience. Right. And so it was, it was really neat to be able to watch you transform because you already had the stories there, you know, and, and so, so cool to watch you continue to progress. And it's amazing to me to be, to be able to work with a CEO of a huge company like you guys are so successful and you're so coachable. That's why you're awesome. And so uh, I, yeah, man, I had fun working with you and it's uh, it's not the thing that I do every day. I am a keynote speaker on large stages all around the world. At least I was before 2020. And then suddenly I had to transform everything real quickly into a virtual home studio. So for those that are watching today, You can see that I have a pretty legitimate setup here. I mean, uh, this is my house. And so it's a nice, nice place. But I've done over 100 events from this very space between April 2020 and April 2021. And that's a miracle because in my whole career for 20 years as a speaker performer in front of large audiences, that was my way of making a living. I never made a penny from my house ever before. And so if if I have any kind of interesting story as to where I am now, it's that 2020 was awesome for helping me shift into this new space in my own house and make a living from here. And now, man, things are coming back. It's like people want the live and people are cool with the virtual. So it's a neat hybrid options. So that's what I'm doing now. And I've, I've started the Promise Institute as well with three other founders. The Promise Institute goes in and, and teaches uh, you know promise culture within the leadership of a company. And so we're doing that, whether it's helping the CEO with their presentation, to online courses, to deliveries of videos that they receive on a weekly basis. And then we do retreats to places like the Tetons, Kenya, all around the world. Lots of neat things going on, man.
1: That's amazing, and I have a hunch that when we dive into your poop to gold journey, it might just take us back one year uh, to, to the beginning of the pandemic. You, you you might want to go a different direction, but it sounds like it was earth shattering enough to your world that that it would probably qualify as a poop to gold moment.
0: Yeah, we could go there wherever you want to go, man. I'm I'm at your mercy. L- let's talk. Okay. So in your book, you you
1: tell a really funny story. At least it it, it had me just cracking up. And this was um, I can't remember if it was your high school days or your college days, but you did you you went up on stage in a talent show and did a Michael Jackson impersonation, and and you just connected with the crowd with the crowd in such a way that you had the crowd going wild and everything, and just in the moment. And you did something a little, uh, a, a little out of character. Would you, would you be open to sharing that story with with our audience?
0: Oh, heck yeah. So thank you for thinking I made it to college Benton. (laughs) I actually did not. I was, I was, however, I was at a college campus when this happened. I was still in high school, but it was a summer camp at Brigham Young University, a very religious school. And so I was on the stage and everyone was doing their talents of singing. And it was incredible, great operatic, you know, "Ah," singers, and I'm not that. So I but said, you but you dance. are a singer though, right? Well, I'm I'm a singer, but not like, you know, not like Andre Bocelli. And so when they're like, it's a singing contest, Who, whoever, you know, whoever places in the top, whatever gets to perform for the parents the next night. So I was like, I'm going to dance instead, you know, no singing for me at the singing contest. I stood up on stage, did my Michael Jackson impression <laughs> at this extremely strict religious university. And, and I'm, I'm just telling you it was out of character from a person like me at this point in my life. But at that time to me, nailing, The impression of the character was way more important to me. And so I did everything you've ever seen Michael Jackson do, from the moonwalk to the moves that made him go, hee hee, you know, (laughs) by grabbing there. And the crowd went bonkers. Every time I did that, hee hee, they were like, yeah, do it again. Hee hee. So they didn't love the moonwalk as much as that one very inappropriate move for a 17 year old boy to do. (laughs) And so, I got the only standing ovation of the night after I did a spin and decided to rip my shirt off and fall to my knees. Like, ha, ah! you know, like full on Michael Jack, let me switch the cameras. Like, ah, you know, so I'm doing my whole thing. And I'm just saying, man, it was so bizarre to go backstage after getting a standing ovation. Everyone loved me except for the director of the talent show and the music camp. And he's like, that was inappropriate for our stage and you know it. And I was like, dude, I got the only standing ovation at a singing contest and I didn't even sing, you know? <laughs> and he goes, you know better than that. You were raised different than that. You must choose what you're going to do from here as a performer. Are you only going to perform what the audience wants? Or are you going to perform what you should do for yourself to be your best self? Man, I was so mad. And I I just sulked. And then I started thinking further about it. That moment changed my life because it was in that moment that I said, yeah, I could go the audience route. The audience loved it. But what about intrinsically within my character that I know I should do? And it was in that moment that I said, you know, I'm not going to do anything that's R-rated. I'm going to stick to G and PG, and that's going to be my calling card. It became my promise to myself, and uh, that—that's actually been that was the tipping point of my career, essentially. So, thanks for bringing that story
1: up. <laughs> well, I—I I, I feel like it's actually a really cool part of your introduction because I think for people to really kind of get to know you, they kind of need to hear a little bit of background like that to understand like the level of performance that that you're capable of, and this is still the level of performance. That you're doing on stages today or in front of, uh, you know, Zoom cameras, (laughs) but you're doing it while staying true to your promise.
0: Yeah. And so with, you know, with the audience, no matter how big they are, I mean, I mean, dude, you know, I'm performing in front of huge crowds. I'm going to, I'm going to show your audience that's watching on YouTube. Like this is my normal audience size, like thousands of people. And this is not anything that's scary to me. This is fun for me. And so having the opportunity to perform for crowds like that, that is what I live for. And I've done so well for 20 years. And I became a great impressionist. So I could do the voices of people or, or sounds and animals and other things that were just different that made me unique. And so, yes, that is a part of the story. It's very interesting. The more voices I did, the better I found my own and my own signature moves. And so, yeah, that is a good place to start.
1: And, and I think to further kind of paint that picture of like the size of stages that, that you're used to, you've been offered a show in in Vegas, right? Yeah. Tell tell yeah, us tell day. us about that.
0: <laughs> so, about 3 years into my career, I had already been a Las Vegas performer for the Legends in Concert. I was a Ricky Martin impersonator and an Elton John impersonator. In other words,
1: oh, you might have to share those. <laughs>
0: yeah. I would so I would come out on stage and I would start with my Ricky Martin. I'd be like, "Livin' la vida loca," you know, and I was all dressed up, didn't have the beard, you know, 20 pounds ago, whatever. This is 20 years ago, too. And then I would go backstage put on the Elton John outfit, and I'd come back out on the piano, and I'd be like, you know, uh, can you feel the love tonight? You know, so I'd do like that old Elton John. I'd do the younger Elton John, like, I remember when I was young, me and Susie had so much fun. La, 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 la. That was my career. And then I said, why just do two characters when I could do a 100? So that was when I added in Michael Jackson, Jim Carrey, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Louis Armstrong, you name it, I was doing it, put together a one-man show of comedy that was G-rated for families. And so when I was uh, about three years into my career, all of a sudden I'm being offered opportunities at multiple casinos. We narrowed it down to the one that we wanted to work with because they had already proven the path for someone that was unknown to make it in Vegas, and these were the steps you had to do. And so they they laid out the contract in front of my wife and I. We had just driven our Subaru Outback from Salt Lake City down to Las Vegas, and we we had no kids. We were just starting our life out together. And the this casino billionaire is flanked with lawyers, and he's passing the contract across the table and saying, "Hey, these are the terms. We just need you to." do what we say do what we create for you and you will be famous wealthy name on taxis but we're going to manage your career we're going to produce everything write what you need to say and when we started to talk further i realized it needed to be a little bit well not a little bit a lot more edgy than i was willing to go because of the michael jackson story and so i appreciate you teeing that up because in that moment is when I said to myself, you know, if we can't come to terms, I can't keep a promise to myself. How can I do this opportunity, even though it'll change my life. And so then I went back to Salt Lake and here I am pretty much still unknown by most people. (laughs) But what's more important is that when we make a promise and keep a promise to ourselves, we live in that space of integrity it changes everything. And integrity, really living the promise of integrity is profitability. I truly believe that. I've still made a living. I still can have some influence and uh, it's worked out okay.
1: I, I want to I wanna dive into that decision just, just a little bit deeper because I feel like there is a large percentage of the population who are driven by fame and or fortune. And you were essentially handed let's call it a key to a door that that fame and fortune were both sitting on the other side of that door and had those been your only two motives, you probably in a heartbeat would have signed that contract and gone for it but for you, there was something deeper something something that was even more important than than fame and fortune i can't I can't speak for you but i'm I'm guessing that Fame and fortune would be nice as long as they come with the things that, that that are underlying and that are even more important at a deeper level. So so speak to that. So two parts there. One, would you still like the fame and the fortune? But two, what are the things that have to come uh, before fame and fortune and that, and that have to be the underlying foundation?
0: Great question. Fame is a tragic experience if you've ever had any of it i think that it's the only good thing about it is your ability to influence others and influence you know something that you want to bring to the table Fortune is nice. <laughs> that would be helpful for me because obviously I'm still fighting every single day to make a living, which would have been a way different story had I gone for it. However, what was more important to me, because I have touched on fame in, in my own ways through the years, people know who I am when I go somewhere. That's that's fine. It gets annoying eventually when you get to that higher level. And so I would say that within the foundation of why you wouldn't do something like that or why you would walk away would be to ask yourself before it happens what are my commitments my promises to myself not to allow an opportunity that could derail me from my ultimate goals in my life and that came down to this choice of saying hey, what's my legacy what do i want my children to know me for would i want my child to go for every single opportunity that comes along, you know, even if it's just the promotion at the job that you've been working so hard to get the promotion, then you find out what's required in that promotion. And that means spending less time at home every single night or weekend. I mean, you name it, whether it's more travel or this or that, we have to continually establish to ourselves, what is my legacy? What is it that I want to be known for? What do I want to do with this one chance I have on earth? And if I'm only grabbing those golden keys or golden eggs that come along, uh, it might derail us from our ultimate path, which I feel that I'm truly on.
1: So I think for our listeners, I hope by now we've painted a picture of who, of who Jason is. And with that background, let's go to your poop to gold journey. I want you to take us, take us to the place in your story where, where things got really dark?
0: I would just say that 2020 was looking good. I mean, I used to average 200 dates a year on the road as a speaker and a performer. And I did that with the intention of making it so that my family didn't have to worry financially and that I could go and influence a lot of people. And then as the kids started to get older, I mean, now now they're old and I'm looking at these kids going, hey, my family... I'm not getting to know them anymore. So I transformed from the showman that was doing 200 dates a year to the keynote speaker who inserts music and comedy throughout a speech and so to say you know what's your voice and here's the voice of Louis Armstrong I think to myself what a wonderful world do but you do da do but but as you teach someone through the voice of another how to discover their own signature moves their own voice that's a really interesting way as a speaker for me to get make my way in my niche right as a speaker so as a, as a speaker, I was then raising my fee from entertainer guy to speaker guy, uh-huh. and then I'm only needing to do 60 to 70 dates a year, getting to know my family, that whole thing that's important to me. And so 2020 was smoking, man. I mean, we're coming into the year like, here we go. I'm, I had just been to Budapest. I think you remember this because we were talking and working together. I was in Orlando selling 500 books in the back of the room. I was, I was traveling the world. March, uh, what, 12th? It all just tanked because every single event that I had planned canceled on me one after another. And Benton, they did not believe that I could go virtual. And I didn't know how to go virtual. I think you know that because when we did our Zoom calls, I didn't even know how to turn the camera on at first. <laughs> and so I had to all of a sudden go from zero, go from huge year to zero income, zero prospects, zero stages. Well, that's that, a little bit intimidating, right?
1: That that's probably an understatement. but it, it was probably nerve-wracking just straight up scary. What was it like for your family?
0: Yeah, it was really scary for us. And I because my kids are in their teens, Uh, We could have either protected them and not told them what was happening, but I thought this would be the perfect learning opportunity for them to see that even as dad's business has just crashed and burned to the ground, that I've done for 20 years and we've never worried about money or things like that, that now we have nothing. What can we do? It was such an awesome opportunity to be able to say, hey, guys, let's cut what we don't need. Let's figure out what we can do to make this work. What do we have in this house that we can make work? And then we went and pulled the cameras and the lights and the sound stuff I had never really used. And we put together this studio that I'm in now. And uh, in fact, we created a promo video that I wrote with Harmon Brothers in my mind. If I could afford the Harmon Brothers to write this ad this is what I think it would sound like. And I'm telling you, because I know you know your process, this thing made me so much money when I launched it because I made it a comedy video about how simple virtual is and how it's really not. Then showing my kids in the background holding up microphones and lights and people went nuts because I said, it's a family affair coming to my home.
1: I I want to see this ad.
0: It was a huge deal, man. Uh, my, My whole career was remade because I had to go after everybody from scratch. None of my former clients would say, hey, you were good live. Let's bring you virtual. They didn't believe that. So I had to go find everyone brand new. That was crazy to start over when everyone didn't have money to spend on it anyway. But part of my networking genius is if I'm good in front of the camera or on the stage i know that will lead to the next opportunity and so i just did as many as i could i was doing i was doing 5 to 7 podcasts a week just to get better on camera and saying uh-huh. things well i was doing uh and i don't even have a podcast i was just a guest on everybody's i was doing morning huddles on a monday and morning or afternoons on a tuesday for you know inspiration moments and and then shows on on wednesday night dude i had to create it from scratch it was the poopiest poopy mess you can even fathom
1: let me ask about one element of this so it, my speaking career if you will if you can even call it that which is like i get invited to a handful of conferences per per year or whatever and, and of course in in March of last year, all of those got canceled for me. Obviously, it didn't have the impact on my life that it had on uh, on your life, so I don't want to make that comparison. But what I'm getting at is that I was invited to what was going to be an in-person conference, and they turned it into a virtual conference where they set up some big video walls. And so we as speakers still came in and we came up on stage and we're in front of the lights and these big video walls. And and so they tried to make it as close to in-person like as they could, but it was still virtual. And even in that scenario, and I'm in front of this video wall with all these faces on there, they're real people, you know, they're live. I found it so incredibly difficult to connect with the crowd on that emotional level that, that happens when you're in person. When you have the crowd there, you can feed off of their energy. You can sense what's working. You can, when you tell a joke, you can know whether or not it lands. You can know whether or not you got the timing right. And I felt like that was all stripped away from me. And, and it was so incredibly hard to speak under those circumstances and, and so I want to hear from you in this transition from in-person to, to virtual, how did you navigate that element of it? And how have you managed to be able to still bring in comedy and entertainment and all these things that, that you're known for?
0: That's been a, the toughest part, no question, because the connection piece is gone. And unless the chat is open and I can read their minds all of a sudden and play off of that, then I'm just talking into the wall. But luckily, Benton, even though I'm not that comfortable still on camera, I mean, I'm still working at this every single day. Uh, I just thought, you know, to myself, if this is fun for me, then this has got to be fun for them. So can I still make make this fun? Can I still laugh about it after I do, you know, and then I go, ha, thank you. Thank you for the clapping. You know, like you just have to <laughs> laugh about it because it's so stinking awkward. Right. And so that became really my way of fighting through. It was just assuming they were with me. And so often, I think we come onto a stage or come onto a camera, you know, trying to convince everyone that what we have is so great. But in reality, I believe they're already with us. You know, they want us to succeed. I tell every speaker that. I say, hey, go on stage. Don't be scared. They want to see you succeed. They're cheering for you without even realizing it. So just be your best. And I applied that into the camera, and it seems to work
1: and there are a lot of you know tv personalities who do that on a regular basis where they're not performing to a crowd it's always just to a camera and so i know it's a skill that that can be learned but my my limited experience with it showed me just how challenging it is
0: i would say it's thousands of times tougher than a real audience because I, you're carrying everything to not get any feedback you know, I, I would I at the first few of them, I would turn off the camera after an hour of speaking into it. And I would just collapse on the ground and lay there for an hour and curl up in a ball sucking my thumb. I was like, this is this is my life. I hate this. life. You know? and, and people are like, even you struggle with it. I'm like, of course I do. I've only done one thing one way my whole life. Now we're shifting the whole thing. But man, as hard as it's been, I, I really enjoy it because I've never been able to read somebody's mind, you know, in the chat, they say something uh-huh. like, you know, in the past it was like clap, 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 laugh, laugh, laugh. But now in virtual they do in the chat. Oh, that song was the song I danced with my dad at my wedding. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Annabelle. Thank you for saying that in the chat. And then it's like, we're now uh-huh. connecting, you know, it's beautiful. Yep.
1: Okay. So as you're going through this reinvention, uh, it, it's more than just a reinvention of, you know, the of what you're offering to the marketplace is kind of a reinvention of yourself to some degree. Did you did you kind of stumble along as you're experimenting your way through this? And did you eventually hit kind of like this inflection point where you where you kind of realized, oh, this is now working. I, I think I found something that I can really lean into.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first time that I was trying this for the first, maybe two months, I was doing events where there were few people watching and there was no money involved. And so it was just an experiment for me and the client. And so oftentimes my mouth would stop matching up with my words because the latency of the audio was not working. So they're like, Hey, something's wrong with your mouth. And you know, I'm doing that now on purpose, but then there was a real issue, you know? And so I was experimenting, pushing, trying different camera angles like this one. Hey everybody, you know, and I'd do this and then I'd go to a GoPro and zoom it around my face. And I'm trying all these different things until finally, I would say about September after doing it from March to September, I finally was like, I think I'm closer. You know, I still Benton, even for today, man, I just bought the lights behind me. Like I just set those up right now. I have not had those lights before. So I'm continuing to tweak it, even though I have less and less opportunities to use it because now they're all going live again. But I want to continue to perfect it. And there were moments, yeah, where I was like, ooh, I think it's working you know, because I, I got a text from the client like, that was unbelievable, you're the greatest. It was very much like getting a standing ovation, coming off stage, uh-huh. the clients patting you on the back. Because I'll be honest, that didn't happen for the first four months. <laughs> it was just silence. Like, I'm done with the gig. And I'm like, I hope they'll text me. No text, no
1: text. Yeah. Which as a performer has got to be just brutal. Terrible, yeah. You, you need yeah. that feed the feedback loop. All right, so Jason, uh, two things uh, that, that I want to wrap up with. One, uh, I want you to share what advice you have for the people who are finding themselves in the middle of their own poop moment, right? Um, and then two, this is the less serious part of it. I, I want you to tell us of all your impressions that you do, which one is your which one is your favorite?
0: <laughs> all right. Well, if you find yourself in your poop moment or place, uh, let, 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 me, let me tell you about this. This is, what, this is what kept me alive through the whole thing. Journaling. Now, that might sound really simple, but for me, this became my, my sanctuary, right? And so I would just write, write, write until I found gratitude again. And that was the most important thing I needed to do every single day was to just write out all the poopiness and then come to gratitude. If we can resolve into that space, then we're keeping that promise to ourselves to continue to be happy because it was a time when I could have turned angry and the world is against me. And it was essential that I continued to not only face the truth and the reality and say, I mean, if there were steps to it, I'd say, assess the situation, realize that it's a fact share it with your family or your team. Like, this is what's happening. How do we all lean in? And then with your own self-reflection and your self-assessment, write in a journal. And I know a lot of people like to type like on a day one or something Uh, for me, it's gotta be this cognitive, you know, experience with the neurons of my brain and writing. And so that's what I would say for somebody going through that and to realize you are made to do what you're made to do. I truly believe it. And so I was not going to go to Wendy's and get the job at the drive through I'm just not, I would not be good at that. What I am good at is what I'm doing for my life. And I'm going to keep doing it in whatever medium I have to do.
1: I love it. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. And I know a gratitude journal has been huge for me as well.
0: Gratitude journal, huge deal, you know? And, uh, and so you asked, favorite impression, you know, the impressions that I really enjoyed doing are, of course, the, there's some for me that I think are fun, some for the audience that they think are more fun. You know, for me, there's things like uh, something that's so ridiculously silly that I'm like, I don't even know if they'll like it. So I'll do like Sloth from Goonies, like, baby, hey, whoo- <laughs> <do> you <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like it, it works mostly for me and the twelve other people that remember Goonies. But then there's the impressions that really they dig.
1: For our listeners, you might want to go watch the video of that of that portion of the show.
0: <laughs> that was a very odd one for sure. But for the audience, I love it when I can see them connecting. Whether it's through more of like a sentimental one, where I'm singing Nat King Cole, Unforgettable, that's what you are, or all the way to super silly, which is like a Velociraptor from Jurassic Park, you know, (laughs) you know and I'm chasing my kids, (laughs) you know? So some audiences think it's, you know, hilarious. And they're going crazy. Does it translate in virtual? Not as much, but on a live stage, like when we did dry bar with my special where I did the Raptor thing, that video went viral just because it's so, so silly and weird. So, yeah, I love, I love when people connect with it and they're like, You know what, Matt, and I think mostly of what I've done in my career that's good is I've given people permission by watching me to go for their greatness just because they're like, why would that guy be willing to look so stupid? (laughs) Maybe that gives me courage (laughs) to keep my own promise, you know, and I'm happy to be that guy.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jason. Thank you for sharing your experiences and your talent with our audience And once again, thank you for helping me in my own journey of trying to learn how to be able to go on stage and provide some value to listeners as well. So thank you, Jason. Thank you. Honor you. Appreciate you. Where can our listeners follow you? Which social media platforms are you active on?
0: I'm mostly active on LinkedIn and Facebook, and I'm trying all the others, but jasonhewlett.com is the best place to find me. That's where you'd find my cool book, The Promise to the One, and all that stuff. So thanks, man.
1: Awesome. And for our listeners, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. We'll see you on the next one. Have you ever wanted Harmon Brothers help in your own business? We'll take a look at your marketing efforts and tell you where you can level up. We have the strategies, we have the expertise. We can help you get there. All you have to do is go to harmanbrothers.com forward slash audit. Once again, that's harmanbrothers.com forward slash audit.